I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. I'd like to take his his face off. Oh, no, not the beard! A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L. I was a little drunk. Plus, I was horny. And welcome back to Cage Old Question, where we ask, is Nicolas Cage the greatest actor alive? I'm Artoon. And this is my wife-to-be, Christina. Hello. And on this show, we watch the entire film catalog of Nicolas Cage in chronological order, working our way through 40 years of cinema. As a disclaimer, this is a personal podcast, not affiliated with any other third parties, and the opinions expressed herein are strictly our own. For today's episode, we are reviewing the 1993 film Amos and Andrew. This film is written and directed by E. Max Fry, his first and only directed film, but he's written some other things. I have a little bit of a loose spoiler for you. Do I sound stuffed up a little you bit? You do sound a little stuffed up. We've been traveling. We've been traveling. It's been... I don't think I'm sick. I think it's just like... You're just full just of those up. airport... Oh, all of I those know. airport molecules and... So I apologize to the listeners if I sound a little stuffy. I feel... Do, do some people like that? No, nobody likes that. Okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, you know how like sometimes if I know, I know, I know, I would. Well, it's Christina likes that. Yeah. Okay. So here's a loose spoiler-free plot. Uh, A young Samuel Jackson plays Andrew Sterling, a Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright who buys a vacation home on an island in New England, off New York, somewhere around there. And some of the white residents uh, and the police mistake him as a thief and surround his home with a battalion of armed police officers. After a one-way shootout, the chief of police, Cecil Tolliver, played by Dabney Coleman, offers a small-time thief in his jail a deal to try and clean up his mess. That thief? Amos O'Dell. The actor behind him? Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. (laughs) And thus we have Amos and Andrew. And also, just so you know, this has an incredible amount of, like, famous and fantastic character actors. Uh, Officer Donaldson, the officer who... You know, puts on blackface <gasps> to like, like it's used. Yeah, just, 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 but we'll it, get into that. You know who? The, that's Brad Dourif. That guy plays Grima Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. You know, with like the long hair, and he's like with the king. Do you know who Grima Wormtongue is? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm okay, really, you, you said it like I was gonna be like, oh, let me show you a picture. Grima Wormtongue. <laughs> let me show you a picture. Oh, Grimo. Right? <laughs> so he's in this. Michael Lerner and Margaret Collin play the like racist white couple who mm-hmm. uh like I've just seen them in so many things. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito from Breaking Bad, uh, Gus, he's in this. Bob Balaban plays like a very funny hostage negotiator. <laughs> like it's weirdly packed for a movie I think most people would have never even heard of, right? Well, because it was uh I, I think I saw it was a, let me just, yeah. Well, it was $17 million budget Whoa. under $10 million box Brutal. office. So it was considered a failure. I think, I think, and we'll, we'll, we're going to say this over and over again of like, you got two thirds of a great comedy of a great, like golden gem filled cast and then it just can't quite can't quite get over 
can't quite get over the finish line there. Yeah. Um, but before we get too much further into the film and start getting to spoilers, um, we're going to do a sponsor skip for this episode and say a quick congratulations to Andrew and Katie on their lovely and loving nuptials. May your love bring you eternal comfort and joy. Mwah! Mwah! Wow. A little special. A little special something. So we are going to kind of move into some spoilers here. Yeah. This is Spoil one, it for me, Artun. Well, this is one if you're thinking about watching it, it's not. I would watch it. My recommendation it. is to watch. Sure. I would say go in, w- do what I did. You go in with incredibly low expectations, <laughs> and then you're like, wow, yeah. this isn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. And there's stuff, I think there's, I'm going to be talking about, there's a Vulture article, um, Remembering Amos and Andrew, the forgotten racially charged comedy that feels ripped from today's headlines mm-hmm. that I would really recommend because I think it does a great job of articulating like the things that are great about this movie in 2022 and the things that still uh, don't hold up. Yeah, because I actually was... I was definitely nervous going into this film. I was film. so nervous. Well, we were talking with Adrian and I was like so scared. I was yeah. like, what's this going to be? Because this is like... There is blackface in There's blackface. this movie and not that it it's like i don't it's so hard to talk about it, like blackface and like in like what way is it being used yeah because the movie knows it's doing black it's not it's like not, i used to i'll tell you yeah. this really quickly very shameful i used to tell people that my favorite movie was to catch a thief with yeah. carrie grant um and grace kelly and it's a beautiful lovely movie but i rewatched it as an adult and i had uh either blacked the scene out of my mind no pun intended or had seen a dvd version that had it cut from it but there's a whole scene where Cary grant shows up to like a masquerade ball and he's in full blackface as like a quote-unquote african servant and it's 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 so it's so horrific it's so and that's horrifying that's a film that is like yeah blackface is a costume versus this is like the the police officer wipes mud on his face to sort of blend in and you and it is uncomfortable it is demonstrably not appropriate it comes back around again like a second time for that same officer it comes around again for he wipes it on Nicolas Cage's face but I would say like when it's on Nicolas Cage's face it's clearly like mud wiped over his face so they, they sort of show the spectrum of it yes I'm still I'm still talking in a very like pretentious way of like oh yes this film has a great control but I and I will continue to do so because I really thought the best thing about this film, it felt like nothing was wasted. It felt like every gag came in like at least three times, but changed and usually elevated the next time around. Yeah. Well, that's that was the... And I thought it was a really packed comedy. I'm always yes. like, give me that Gilmore Girls style of like, bam, 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 moved. bam, bam. It was move. Everything yeah. was used. It, it paid out like a slot machine. Mm-hmm. Mm, and, wow. And um, even so the... With that, like, the paying off of the blackface, if mm. I remember correctly, it's, as you said, he yeah. wipes mud on his face, one of the police officers. Yeah, Donaldson. Donaldson. Grimo, Grimbo, what'd you call him? Grimo Wormtongue? He's, he's, he's Wormtongue in, uh, <laughs> in Lord of the Rings. Donaldson Wormtongue. Brad Dorif. Um, Brad Dorif. So then, basically, and this is kind of the plot of the movie, the chief of police who's running, this is an election year, which is, mm. I think, an incredible, like, thing they added to raise the it's stakes. It's great, Yeah. He's like, the setup's I got really good. And the setup is mm. that's the thing. It starts off, and you're like, the setup for this is fantastic. But to go back to this mm. blackface thing, so uh, 
it's the officer who's kind of like mud on his face. It's more like he's like, it's night ops as opposed to like, I'm doing blackface. Yeah. And he's the first one who starts shooting like at the house. And it's so insane because it's, it's almost comical if it wouldn't be so horrifying. Like that's kind of also where all of this Mm -hmm. lies for me. I'm like, this is somewhat funny because it is, an aggressive over amount of shooting, but also that happens. Like that's yeah, the I, that's the part that like is hard to laugh at. Yeah, I wrote my note that I took was I was I described it as a traumatizing slapstick shootout, and yes. I and I comedy episode trying to get into it, but I also want to take a moment and just speak the names of some black people who have been killed in their own homes by police. Sure. Um, which is Botham Jean on in 2018. You will remember an off-duty police officer broke into his own while he was eating ice cream on the couch and killed him in his apartment. She claimed like she was like, oh, it was my own apartment. And that no, uh, she was she was convicted of murder yeah. um, because it was. And then our beloved Breonna Taylor, uh, March of 2022, was killed by police officers in Kentucky in her own apartment, in her home. And Donovan Lewis, most recently, uh, I believe this was in 2022 in Ohio, was shot in his bed. So, Jeez. so like, like the shootout on a black man in his home is is really traumatizing and yeah. upsetting in 2022. Um, and I think the like I said, this Fulcher article is spectacular of also also um, echoing it in and describing that there's another incident. Uh, not not killed, but uh, in 2009. Oh, yeah, the um, Harvard professor. Yes, Henry Louis Gates Jr. Uh, had the same thing of, like, he, he had a home in Cambridge. He was trying to get into his home. Police were called. He was arrested. There's a very weird story where Obama, like, criticized the police as stupid, but then invited that officer and Gates to the White House to, like, share a beer. Classic, like... Like, yeah, oh, like, we had a racially tensioned thing. Let's, like, pretend, like, a beer can, like, yeah. solve it. And it's not, like, systematic. Yeah. Troubling. No, yeah, you're but, right. You're totally right. I mean, that is, that's what's so hard about this movie is that, like, I mean, here's the thing. I think. Oh, sorry. I was just going to oh. say also also that uh, when, when Samuel L. Jackson comes out to turn off the car alarm with his car keys, they're saying, like, oh, it's a weapon. It's a weapon. And it's very and Travion Martin yes. and his bag of Skittles, yes. like yeah. like stuff like that all the time. Well, it's, 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 that's what's I, – I think – here, I'll, I'm going to kind of jump forward a little bit. Sure. And I still want to get back to, like, how this plays out. Yeah. But um, Roger Ebert pretty much sums it up um, in his review where he goes – it's tough to laugh while you're hurting, but that's what Amos and Andrew wants us to do. The humor is undermined by the sadness of the basic situation. The movie is not bad, so much as misguided. It contains a lot of funny moments and some good performances, but all the same. It's like, it's not that any, it's not a bad movie. No. It's, it's just and, hard and, and, to laugh. It's just hard to like. I, my thing that I disagree with with Roger Eager about it is he says, he says it should have been, the humor should have been angry and harder or they should have backed away from the situation altogether. And I'm like, on the one hand, I, I don't think that this is a story for white creators to take. On the other hand, I'm like, it's 1993. If you're not going to be able to get black creators to make this for I still think it's worth being made sure, I still yeah. think it's worth Give it a shot. trying to have a conversation trying to bring I felt like I, I do feel like comedy is a way to process trauma and yes, I, I think 
there is a way to make this story and situation work and I don't think it's one where you shouldn't have even tried making it. Yes. Unlike Never on Tuesday where I was like that <laughs> should have gotten the nicks from the beginning. Yeah. I think it was worthwhile to try sure. Amos and Andrew. Yes. I'm wondering if that comment's like he's like leave it to the professionals because this is a first time director mm. is kind of where he's going with but that. Nobody but nobody else is doing nobody it. Nobody else is doing it. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, I think email that, in well, cageoldquestionpod at gmail if I'm wrong. If you think that there's someone well, else. Well, I think that what they're doing, doing this, here that's different is that there are a lot of uh, movies that are dealing with racism in America, but they're usually dramas. Yeah. And they're usually a little like. You know, the color purple, or like yeah, you know, which I'm the, saying pitch for the the for comedy, the comedy. Yes, for the I, dramedy yes. of it. Like uh, to go back to the how this is all like paying off, and like kind of how this it's not that the the blackface mudface like night ops thing is the crux of the movie, but it kind of is because <laughs> the chief of police now needs a fall guy for his police officer, which they do all the time in real mm-hmm. life. Yeah, um, nice. And so that's when he hires Nicolas Cage to essentially. Pretend to be the white guy in Mudface, Blackface, that shot at uh, Samuel Jackson. And if you can't tell, this is a Black Lives Matter podcast. This is a Black Lives Matter <laughs> podcast. Um, so then when Nicolas Cage goes in, and this is kind of where it gets uh, funny, like, he actually, him and Sam Jackson start almost developing this, like... They have chemistry right away. They have chemistry. I mean, here's mm-hmm. the thing. These two are juggernaut actors, right? Like, they're just, like, feeding off of each other. It's always good seeing them on screen together. It's I mean, it's never boring. Like, everyone's delivering good performances. But then they escape the house after they, they I'm together sorry, take I'm out f- the chief of police. I just feel like they both... Both of them... I don't know if I'm describing this right, but both Samuel L. Jackson and Nicolas Cage have, like walls up like they're very tall actors and they both also seem to have this sort of like muscly wall up that they'll sort of shoot emotional missiles over yes and like connect on yeah it's great it's great seeing mm -hmm. them together i don't know if there's a if they're together again ever in a film but we'll see we'll find out um but so the chief of police comes in and he's like all right you know amos it's you know we got our deal like I'm going to get you out of your jail time because you helped me out and took the fall. And he basically is, like, saying to Samuel Jackson, like, we were racist. He, like, kind of, like, makes the whole thing, like, you know, it's it's a common mix-up. You get it. And then that's when Samuel Jackson hits him with a frying pan. No, that's not what happens, Archie. Well, he also calls him, he calls him the N-word. Yeah, you just, sorry, but you, don't say, oh, he also calls him the N-word. That was the catalyst of that scene, is that, is that... He comes in and Nicolas Cage has the gun to Samuel Jackson's head. Yes. He's feeling betrayed. He thinks he can retake the hostage situation himself. Yeah. And then that's when the police chief is saying, like, no, I have control here. You can kill that N-word. Yeah. Like, because I don't care. That honestly would be better for him because then no one would ever find out, yes. like, the mistakes. And yes. he would have the excuse to shoot Amos, whatever. But instead... Um, what happens is that uh, Nicholas Cage is disarmed. The police chief turn starts to turn around to say to him, "Sorry about that n-word thing." <laughs> and Samuel Jackson, with a frying pan, goes n-word this and bashes Bash him it. in the head with it. So yeah. it's an, ama- it like, is an amazing. I thought. I thought the there. I think the Vulture article said it didn't work because it seemed too jarring out of nowhere for the police officer who hadn't been this way to do it. And I was like. 
Oh, I felt like it was it was very shocking was, and jarring, but it was still it was felt like in character. it felt in character. Felt like yeah. this is the kind of guy who, like, in a very private, scary moment, is absolutely gonna drop it, knowing knowing what he's doing, but then pretending like, oh, it was just like I had to say it, and then and then like, I don't know. I bought into it as the catalyst for for the shift in yes. the relationship. That police officer very much gives me the same vibes of the dad and get out going like. I voted for Obama twice. Yeah. You know, like that's like the... Well, I feel like that's a little <laughs> bit more the lawyer character. Oh, yes. He's yes. like, he's the whole team, like, um, <laughs> the, sorry, Vulture article, so good. It describes, Phil is exactly the kind of pot-smoking, sexually adventurous, socially-minded activist who would proudly hang pictures of himself at civil rights rallies in his law office. But when confronted with a genuine African-American man in an ambiguous situation, immediately gives in to racism he's deeply committed to social justice in the abstract but he also sees a black man in a wealthy context and automatically assumes he's a criminal and i think that's like like exactly on the most it's so interesting to see the pot like like the lawyers smoking the pot and his wife's like oh my and then later when nicholas cage breaks the home he like smokes the brooch off like the very last bit of it they have they have this like drawer full of sex toys and bdsm equipment that nicholas cage and samuel jackson that used discover and share a look and eventually like tie them up with and then and then he is like he represented the chicago seven and like that's his claim to the fame but he is like the catalyst for all this racist nightmare upon his new black maker yes um and it's just like so so you were saying um the get out dad was like the police officer and i was just yes i felt like that role was definitely more more like the lawyer yes yeah um but like this just keeps moving along like it's like it just kind of moves from one plot point to the next to the next to the next and like yeah. the movie's always going right they're yeah. always a little more on the run they're the police are always trying to catch back up with him at this point the officer donaldson who was initially in blackface who has wiped it off is now like i need to go pretend now to be nicholas cage who is pretending to be me so that i can get arrested and there's a really funny moment where like the police realize they're arresting like a fake nicholas cage mm-hmm. And the police chief is like, just take him. Yeah, he just, just take he him. He looks in. at him, he sees the, that it's actually blackface Donaldson, and then he pulls his ski max like back yeah, yeah. over his face, and he's like, like just he's take like, him take this guy out of here. Yeah, um, which it's, was pretty funny. Like, it's like that's like there is like a lot of hijinks and like this, where like moment to moment you might laugh, but then you're not sitting with that laughter afterwards. You're a little more uncomfortable. And there's also I don't know. I don't know if I would agree, but but you the for me where this film kind of flounders Mm. is it starts with all this great setup of like, this is what it is. Like, it's like, you know, people aren't, satire. It is satire. Like they would never say I'm racist. Yeah. yeah, But then again, they're calling the police on a black man in Mm. in his own home. And And they're being very much like, like a man, a black man. Yes. Like, like making those distinguishing. And in and case you were wondering what's made him so wealthy, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright for Yo Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, which I, is a great name. Oh for my a gosh. Play. I had, I was like, why do I have Yo Brother, Where Art Thou? As Yo a brother, no, I totally forgot I that that's almost, like, Thank you so much. I feel like the name of this movie, which actually I want to get into, should have been Yo Brother, Where Art yeah. Thou? Because it's. It's a riff on Amos and Andy, which is like a 1930s through 50s radio, um, not a play, but like they would do characters. Yeah, and, radio and show. Radio show. And this is one of those tough things where it's like, 
in hindsight, we can see a lot more, but like it, through the 30s and 50s, 60s, it was offering a lot of black performers opportunities to perform on the radio. And like, you know, that's financial gain for them and it's mm. exposure and all this stuff. But looking back at it now, it's a lot of like racist, stereotyped mm. characters that may have been more harmful and like perpetuated more stereotypes. So it's one of yeah, those things. And of, like, it was some, I don't I don't know that much about it other than like what I could briefly find on the yeah. internet. I don't have a cultural context for it, but I was reading that it also was something where they then took it once it was successful, took it and had just white people doing the voices of yes. black people, which which is sort of a a note. It feels like a nod or a note of like if you're having a white writer director writing yes. this story yeah. and and filling in well but. there's there's a point where i mean it is referenced because yeah. samuel jackson goes uh, tells nicholas nicholas cage, nicholas calls cage them, is like you mean amos, amos and, and, andy, and, and goes, you know don't amos say and, that he, actually he just says amos, amos and andrew. andrew he says their names yes. and nicholas cage says don't say and, that yeah, and so samuel he jackson seems, says, don't or, say <laughs> that, says don't say that and he goes yeah uh and it basically and just because you don't know what it means and it, it's quick it's it's, it's very like quick. quick it doesn't explain it no. at all it does it's just it's just very quick and yeah um i feel like it's interesting i feel like we're like not talking about nicholas cage that much and i it's it's i feel like i got what i was asking for where i'm like serve yourself up to the movie and to your cast and i'm actually now a little disappointed i'm a little like well, i'm yeah. a little like where is he but i want to say i want to give a like rattle through my favorite Nicholas Cage sure, moments yeah, yeah, yeah. of this of like at one point he takes a sip of beer and he does this huge double head swing <laughs> like 360 yeah. degrees around and it's like ah. that was so funny there's a moment where uh he says like brother to he's like easy there brother to Samuel Jackson and Samuel Jackson's like you're not my brother and and then he slips up again later and Samuel starts to say something and, and Nicholas Cage, I know, you're not my brother. And he and it's a very cool, like just felt just felt like Nicholas Cage can elevate a single line. Sometimes I get annoyed with him when I feel like the performance isn't cohesive mm-hmm. or like he's floundering in different directions. But when he is a tightly coiled snake just like delivering lines that's my favorite stuff yeah that is so good um he does he just kind of serves the movie here um which oh the other i was gonna say the other like couple of gestures because this is the thing that i've been thinking about ever since uh vampires kiss and imagining him Mm -hmm. rehearsing the alphabet is like knowing that when he's doing these weird gestures i don't think they're improvised i think he's usually like thought about them Mm -hmm. so like like when he looks outside and there's no cops out there because they're at the wrong house or whatever and he puts up his hands in this like silly like it's up at his temple level shrug is so funny and then like Later on, he gets a kiss on the cheek and he puts the finger to the where the kiss would be and then brushes it across his lips. And it's just like stuff like that is so detailed and I feel like I'm getting a new appreciation and an eye for it. Yeah. Um, I recently heard for uh, Moonstruck. Oh, yeah? You know when he puts his hand up and John? points at it and goes like, you know, I like... Lost yeah, I lost my hand. I lost, lost my bride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes... If you watch the film Metropolis, which is like a 1920s yeah, he loves it. film, which I've seen. I've seen is, it too. Have you? Yes, I have. 
I've seen it twice. You've seen Metropolis twice? I've seen it twice. I went to the British American Dramatic Academy. You don't sound so sure. I don't sound sure. (laughs) Wow. Listeners, has she seen Metropolis twice? I did go to BADA and we watched it there, but now I'm like, isn't that what it stands for? British American Dramatic Academy? Yeah, and I saw Metropolis there, and, and even you if you don't believe me, no, I saw it once there, and I saw it once another time. Okay, well, anyways, in Metropolis, you don't believe me. In Metropolis, there is someone with a metal hand who that points. Dumb. He points it at, in basically the same way, and that's where I'm just like, that's so true. Like, mm. he's not just improvising gestures; like, he actually does think about these things, and that's that feels like incredible. the artist stuff. Yeah. Um. The film kind of ends on like a everyone's happy note like Well, I think I think also for me the thing that sums up like what the setup doesn't deliver is that when Nicolas Cage and Samuel Jackson get to it's actually the lawyer's house that they like break in on and there's yeah. Rommel, the like white oh, dog. Oh, we haven't even talked who, about this dog. Rommel is a huge character. Very much evocative of a dog, Migo, that our team used to dog sit for and has a fondness for. He's a white German Shepherd, apparently. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, big white. It looks like a white German Shepherd. Um, And when Samuel L. Jackson first encounters the dog, he looks very afraid. And he says, keep that animal away from me. And And he seems totally scared of the dog, which is like a very traumatizing thing of like dogs have been used to attack black people. Yeah, especially German shepherds. Especially German shepherds. Attack I bet that's dogs not a coincidence. Se- I bet that was a purpose. Well, that's the thing. It feels like such a powerful, heavy setup. Yeah. But then the the play out is that Nicolas Cage is like, shake the dog's hand. Like, if you don't do that, he won't like the next black guy he comes along. Like, it puts the onus on the black man yeah. to be, like, friendly and, and, and to change the mind of the white beast. Yeah. Which is not appropriate. No. And then eventually, and then there's sort of like a, is he allergic to dogs? Wait, he had dogs growing up. He ends up sort of liking Rommel. Rommel is, like, very cute and is around as sort of this, this, like, transitional connecting force between the two of them Mm -hmm. but having the tie-in of it's like like you said samuel jackson needs to learn a lesson that is so wrong that is so like agreed where i think that's that's where there's some point where the movie i think is like this is where we're delivering our message and like nicholas cage has this what's supposed to i think be a powerful moment Mm. where he goes like not everything that happens to you that's bad is because you're black. Like, bad things happen to everyone. Like, you got to understand, like, you got to relax. And, like, Samuel Jackson later on is like, you're right, it's not because I'm black. And I'm like, huh, buddy, this whole thing is happening because you're black. Yeah. No white guy would have had any of this happen. You're right. Your suspicions are right. Your feelings are right and yeah. validated. And what's tough is, like, it, you know... With Samuel Jackson saying it's okay, it's like the film's basically saying like yes, like you know, like mm. ev- we're coming together, white yeah. and black together, shaking our big hands. Which is such a shame that it double backs on like like another scene that I think is so good is when they're having very intimate tie business. It's Samuel Jackson and Nicholas Cage, yeah. or Nicholas Cage is trying to tie a tie. Samuel L. Jackson helps him out with it, and and this Nicholas Cage has just sort of like been being like, oh, I bet you have a white wife. I bet you yeah. like you took the money and you like love love your new life or whatever and 
Samuel L. Jackson delivers really wonderfully. Uh, Don't you for one second think I've forgotten who I am or where I come from? And that feels like if you had kept that note, which it just almost does, instead of of like bending bending your characters around for comfort and resolution, it could have been so good. Well, you know, just like life, this movie isn't black and white it's not good or bad it's it's like kind of falls in this gray area where there's good things and there's bad things and it's just kind of like living in that area and i think that's fine i think sure it, from a financial perspective it did recoup its money yeah. I, you know, <laughs> that's millions of dollars but at the same time you got to make some swings this is yeah. this is cinema this is yeah. filmmaking um and with that i feel like we can start moving into our rate i mean there's just so much here that we haven't even talked about. There's, you know, there's Bloodhound Bob at the Twins. There is, we haven't even gotten into the hostage negotiator like Bob Balaban. Like, well, you mentioned him. You mentioned gave him a nice shout But I'm out. just like, there's so much that is happening in this film that it's yeah. not a bad watch. We could, de- I definitely recommend it as yeah. we said up top. But. And I'll say one of the other sloppy things that I noticed is that uh, towards the end of the movie, the chief of police, he's wearing his glasses. I noticed that you too. Noticed it too. The lens. He's, he's yeah, he's yeah. wearing these yellow glasses, and in one cut, the lens is out. In the next cut, it it's is cracked. cracked instead of out. Oh man, they should have had they should have had a nice script supervisor there. Maybe Zach Panazzo. Oh, Zach Panazzo. He could have maybe kept continuity clean. And is it does a script supervisor do that? I'm I don't not know. Positive, I have actually. no idea. Maybe. We'll ask Zach. I bet you actually that's the costume department. The last segment of our show is devoted <laughs> to our ever contentious ratings. <laughs> we rate the movie out of five stars for the overall movie and out of ten gauges to evaluate Nicholas Gage's performance with five stars for the technical aspect and five stars for the creative. Artoon, what would you give this movie and Nicholas Gage's performance? I think I would give this movie I'm between two and a half and three stars. Whoa. Maybe three stars actually. I feel a little more confident comfortable saying that i feel like it was good but it had a lot to, to go but three is a good three is that's average um and then nicholas cage i thought technically was very strong like maybe a four for technical and maybe like a three for creative so that's like a seven out of ten it wasn't one of the most spectacular it wasn't one of the best it wasn't even i'd say the most memorable but i would say he served the movie he served the character he was he made Samuel Jackson look good too? Mm. Like they both made each other look good, which in improv is what you're looking for. Not that this was improv, but like it just was like a solid performance that was just there. I would agree. Same exact Nicolas Cage movie score with the uh, four for technical for the same things we were saying about delivery and three for creative for those things that I was mentioning. Um, and I, maybe this is embarrassing, but I would actually rate this as a four star movie. I. Nothing embarrassing. I enjoyed it. Good I would I would say only one star minus for not carrying it past the finish line. I I felt I Good for I, you. May, I I Go I for feel it. no, I feel I feel I could easily be changed my mind if someone was to yell at me and Look, be like how about you this? rated if this you wrong. If you feel like Christina has rated it too high, <laughs> feel free to send in an email to cageoldquestionpod at gmail.com. We have gotten another email from Christina's father. Yay. We are planning Thanks, on Dad. responding to that email soon. Thanks, Dad. Uh, so be on the lookout for that response. It's great. We've you had can a little also, back and forth. You can also critique me on Twitter and Instagram at yes. cageoldquestion. Follow us in order to... In order to do that. <laughs> to do that. And if... Um, 
you liked what you heard. Maybe even whether or not you agreed or dis- disagreed, you liked what you heard. You could subscribe to this podcast and leave a five star review. Yeah, it helps with our. It helps with how like visible we are on like Apple. And helps Spotify, with how you know? visible we are on like, Apple, Spotify platforms. Uh, and I'm I'm ready to wrap this up, part two. Let's do it for the next episode. We're watching the 1993 film Red Rock West. We hope you'll watch with us and listen in. Signing off, this is Christina. And our two Nazareth. Asking you the, the cage old question. The Bible's out, Paul! The Bible's out, Paul! I'd like to take his his face off. Oh, oh no, not the beat! A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L. I was a little drunk. Plus, I was horny.